Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trino Community Broadcast. 35 it is today and that dynamic duo is back together. Welcome back, Brian. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> uh, always, always missing you. It's, it's great to have you back. Lots of stuff happening while you were gone, but obviously um, you were busy with your son, which is also having awesome. my having my spawn. So another little <laughs> Commander Bun Bun. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, the Trino world hasn't stopped. There's lots of stuff going on. We'll talk about releases today. We'll talk about some developments on the packaging world and modernizing it. And all is going to be coming to you thanks to all the work and stuff that we get from Starburst. Yeah, thanks That's thanks a lot for uh, for t uh, tapping in and, and uh, taking up the uh, last Trino community broadcast and this current one, Manfred. It's been great uh, seeing that you know I can I can leave the show and, and all doesn't fall apart. So uh, I, be, I think basically at this point, you know, I was just like. I, I actually was in the background of the last show, uh, even though I didn't have much being involved with it. And I just remember feeling like, oh gosh, I wish I could like, <laughs> it, was, it was hard to kind of let go of the reins a little bit at that point, but I was, I was glad to see it was happening. And so, uh, so again, thanks for, uh, for, for holding these up and I'm really excited for the, the show that we got today. So uh, um, without further ado, before we get started, uh, let's go do a quick uh, uh, ad from our sponsors. I'm Colleen Tarto. I am the director of engineering on Starburst Galaxy. What is it actually offering? So, I mean, I, I think this kind of like builds on some of the open source Trino stuff, but is it doing a lot more? Uh, what what kind of pains is it solving? Could you kind of uh, uh, give us a little bit of insight on, on what actual pain this is going to be uh, uh, alleviating? Yeah, absolutely. And so to, to think about that, I always like to go back and think about what's the difference between Starburst Enterprise and Trino, right? And so I always like to think of Starburst Enterprise as the cool older sibling to Trino. It's a little bit more mature, a little cooler. It's got a, it's got a car. It's got yeah. some cool stuff going on, leather jacket, you know. Um, and Trino is awesome in its own right, don't get me wrong, but Starburst Enterprise is just better and a bit more grown up. And specifically what that means to me is that with Enterprise, you get more. You get more functionality, faster performance, more connectors, more security, better management, better integration into the ecosystem of tools that you already use today, data governance, integration, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what really speaks volumes to me is that when you use Starburst Enterprise, you get Starburst, right? You get best-in-class support from the folks who work for us, and they know Trino best because they created Trino, and they're con continuing to contribute to Trino. Um, but Starburst Galaxy takes that to a whole other level, right? So one of the pain points is installing, managing, maintaining, monitoring Starburst Enterprise. And so Starburst Galaxy alleviates all that, right? So it's um, a fully managed service. It's Starburst Enterprise as a managed service and more. And one last question. As yeah. uh going to be any free offerings coming up anytime soon. Is that on the road? Absolutely. We're building out. We've got a free trial. Um, so if you're interested, absolutely reach out to us. We are very excited about it. Um, and then we're talking about sort of a free tier. So like being able to just play around with it in your own environment and see what's what. We'll keep you all uh, up to date on when you can start to play around with Galaxy and Trino uh, for free for just a little bit and uh, get to know this incredible service called Starburst Galaxy. Thank you so much, Colleen. Thank you. 
All right. And I wanted to say hello, Mohammed. Uh, thanks for joining the, the show. And uh, if you all have any questions, this is something we don't usually end up calling out. We should probably do this more. But if you are on watching us on YouTube, um, you can and or LinkedIn, actually LinkedIn, you can also uh, uh, chat. We unfortunately, the, the service doesn't allow us to chat back uh, on, on LinkedIn, but we'll figure that one out. But if you want to ask us a question uh, on LinkedIn or on YouTube, uh, feel free to just throw in the uh, in the comments uh, section, and uh, we will let it pop up like this, and uh, we'll we'll answer your question as quickly as we can. Um, yeah, we'll so. also try to have a look at uh, the Slack channel. Yes, yeah. as well as the Slack channel. So we do uh, have Manfred does this a lot better than I do because I'm usually watching the uh, uh, the other channels. But um, uh, yeah, if you also want to ask questions on our Trina Community Broadcast channel, that is another uh, good space to even put in suggestions about the show. If you like, there's something you want us to do or a particular topic uh, concept you'd like us to cover, uh, please do let us know about that and what you'd like us to, uh, to cover. But uh, something that almost that we're always asked to cover is uh, what's new with Trino. So there's always something happening. Yeah, exactly. So we've had actually a lot happen in these last uh, couple of weeks uh, since, well, I guess the last month um, since the last episode. So Manfred, uh, I, what did I miss? I mean, I, I've been gone this last month as well. Uh, yeah, you, care missed, of a baby. You, you missed a whole <laughs> bunch of things. It's funny um, that we just watched a demo a little bit of Starburst Galaxy because we have an upcoming event called Cinco de Trino in May where Dane is going to show some of the new features in Starburst Galaxy. And we'll also talk about Starburst Galaxy later on today because, um, as you'll see, um, Starburst Galaxies are already running with Java 17. So we'll talk about that a bit later today. But yes, releases, always something happening. Uh, we got in a pretty good groove now and we got our releases pretty much happening every Wednesday. That's kind of the plan. Sometimes we have to delay it by a day or two or release block or something is happening, which actually happened last night. So, <laughs> so we will cut a release later today, most likely. But nevertheless, there is the four releases, 375, 376, 377, and 378 coming later today, all available for you. And a whole bunch of things slipped yes. in again. So, so by the time this thing publishes, if you're watching the show, it, this this will be filled in with whatever where it makes it into the release, whatever sneaks in. Now that there was a bug that always introduces new possibilities as well. Like, hey, I can get my <laughs> PR in now. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does happen though. Like, like you know, literally, we were gonna release last night, and then, and then I'm like what's david doing there's like another another merge another merge another merge so more things yeah. are coming i'm sure the the team in poland and in india and in japan and everyone they merged more stuff again so yeah. that's every, every setback is an opportunity you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly so no there's lots of lots of cool stuff happening so one of the things that we've started doing is a lot of the performance improvements we have in starburst enterprise are slipping down to trino because we think everyone should have those benefits um so um, when you look at improved predicate pushdown for PostgreSQL, for example, that came uh, from Starburst and uh, a lot of the other developments are also from us, obviously. Nice. And the community is also working very hard on, on all sorts of stuff. So in 375, we had that predicate pushdown. We also had table comments in the MySQL connector and then general improvements for aggregation filters. There's lots more, obviously, as usual. You'll see the titles here for the uh releases are actually links to the release notes much more uh 376 was a bit longer because uh, we got a bit of a blocker so that delayed us a bit so we slipped in more um yeah, of course and one one of them is the paquet data reading that that got quite a bit happening and then 
Again, on the JDBC connectors, you see here the join pushdown for MySQL. That actually got expanded to be automatic join pushdown. And mm -hmm. I'll talk about that in a sec, what that means. Um, aggregation pushdown for Oracle came. And then ClickHouse got table and column comments. Accumulo got stuff like adding and deleting schemas. A very important one is the CLI and JDBC driver got support for the system trust store. So nice. the trust store that's built into the operating system and the certificates managed there can now be used, which makes it a lot easier because when you provision uh, the operating system in an organization, um, you basically have some sort of operating system image. And often that includes your internal certificates and all that kind of stuff. Um, why that is easier now is when you do that in an organization, the users that want to use the CLI or the JDBC driver, which means a lot of the Java applications that are using the JDBC driver, you don't have to configure a custom Java key store file and muck around with all those flags. You just yeah. like use the system trust store and it works, right? So that's kind of nice. That's awesome. Um, and um, those those come in. Um, Two-way TLS SSL certificate validation with LDAP authentication also came in. Basically means that it's not just TLS and the certificate of the LDAP server will validate, but also the one of Trino to the LDAP server. So it's like both ways, basically. Um, just for like even kill, the, kill those man in the middle attacks from either direction. <laughs> exactly, basically. <laughs> um, so that was from 376. What Martin thought was worth mentioning. 377, we got uh, the new trim syntax uh, for from SQL, which allows you to basically trim a string, uh, pre like the spaces in front or in the back and mixed and whatever. So that's that's kind of cute. So that when you you know like are used to like the standard SQL syntax, you can use all that stuff. Hmm. Uh, we got some uh, Metastore performance improvements with Glue in this case, and then another joint pushdown for SQL Server. That's also I, what. A, are those are those all all those pushdown basically like aggregation pushdown Oracle joint pushdown? All all those are kind of in the same vein of like the the stuff coming out of Starburst, or are those? Yeah, like exactly. Okay, exactly. And what I wanted to mention about that is actually, and that's something that's not. Um, not obvious. I mean, it's it says it in the release notes in the in in those official release notes. It doesn't say it, but in the detailed release notes, it says um, it actually includes table statistic support. Oh, so cool. remember when the join when when a query is written um, and then uh, processed uh, into a, into, a, into the plan to execute and process the query. Um, if you have table statistics, which means where, like what's the distribution of null values and, and stuff like that, like yeah. how big is the table. If you have those, you can do a the planning better, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so far, table statistics didn't exist in PostgreSQL, MySQL, and SQL Server. Um, that is now there. And so that means that generally any query that can benefit from those table statistics will be faster. Specifically, also, and that's what we saw in the release notes there, the join pushdown yeah. will be faster because it is now enabled by default. Before, it wasn't enabled by default because it could make it worse if you push down a join, right? Because you don't yeah. know where, where, what side is what, right? Yeah. But now, the with the with the table statistics being available, the yeah. 
the cost-based uh, optimizer can make a, a smart decision. Do I push down or not? So now that's automatically joined up, joined push that's happening. So that's and, really cool. That's showing for MySQL and SQL Server. Is this like everything else is kind of to come, I guess, on, on these? We have to kind of slowly iterate across the different connectors that use JDBC? Oh, oh. PostgreSQL got it as well. Um, okay. It's not always necessary possible, depending, like most of those, it will probably come. Yeah. Um, at the moment, we have it in PostgreSQL, MySQL, and SQL Server. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure what the plan is in terms of which others it applies to and can be done. Okay. Um, I don't even know which ones we already have. I think we have it for Oracle, but I'm not sure now. Hmm. Anyway, so, but there's these coming and like, you know, with predicate push done, for example, for PostgreSQL, that came that already existed in Oracle and stuff like that. So it's just basically all of the performance will be lifted up more and more and more, which is really awesome. And, and last little bug I have, if you are I'm curious, if you I've seen like so many uh, constant updates for Parquet data, I know that's been a huge focus for us to kind of get Parquet on the same level of org. Have you heard yeah. anything about like where we're at with that? And like, is, is Parquet pretty much like, it, it, does it still like I, I've typically recommended to people that, you know, if they're choosing between the two and they don't have any other reason to make a decision about like why they would use one versus the other. I, you know, if you're, they're using Trino as their primary kind of like analytics system, just go with Orc. But is that still the case now? You know, it's I, like. So I don't know. I, I'd have to lie if I say. Yeah, I know yeah, fair there, enough. But I do know that Orc is still faster in Trino, but I'm pretty sure like in, in Starburst Enterprise, we have a native uh, additional optimizations for parquet reading. Yeah. That brings it on par. I don't know what the plan is there. I think there might be a plan to get that into Trino over time, but I yeah. don't know where that stands. Okay. So, yeah. Because I promises, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll bug Dane about it because I I remember at one point we I was talking to him and he was like, yeah, we should you know typical uh, you know canonical advice at least at you know a year ago roughly in Trino was like stick with Orc if you if if that's you know if you if you don't have a particular reason to be in Parquet go with Orc and so um, I, I feel like that might be less of a thing so maybe we'll make that the question of the week or question of the episode. Uh, next next episode <laughs> yeah i think some of those like 376 improvements for paquet data are already in that vein and there's probably more coming also considering that now we have like you know hive delta lake iceberg all the big uh like connectors for object storage systems yeah. lake houses basically relying on that to some degree right like paquet is just a very common format like i'm obviously orcas as well but those yeah. are the two right so you need to be fast in both so that's cool. gotcha gotcha cool um, also, cool news on Iceberg for all the Iceberg fans, including you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> the V2 table format support is getting better and better. Um, so, like, read is closer now to be completely done. And uh, we're working towards write. And so, um, as the table format spec evolves and um, goes there, our implementation is also following along as much as possible. So, that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see those write operations. I know we've been working a lot with AWS on those. And, uh, you know, I, in particular, that's that's going to be super powerful, right? Because, like, once we can, it, right right now, it's like you have to have, like, you're, you're absolutely required to have both Spark and Trino at this point to kind of do one or the other, if, even if you want to play with it. Um, I, you know, I guess if you're kind of doing sandboxing, you might do Spark and, uh, and then, like, 
to insert in the data and then like read it out with Trino. But like, and you can even do Spark a little bit by itself, you know, but if you're trying to kind of even scale it up even a little bit, the typical pattern is like use Spark for writes, use Trino for reads. And it's like, hopefully getting to a point where like, obviously Spark catches up a little more in their reads. And then we, we kind of catch up a little more in the writing capabilities so that you can kind of pick and choose and be free from, you know, having to choose both always. Yeah, um, to be honest, the plan is to take over the world and to uh, have <laughs> have Trino dominate and do everything Spark does faster yeah. and better. So that's the real plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and I think about it from you know their perspective, right? You gotta you gotta take your time with these things. It's not like you know, yeah, yeah. oh, okay, now Trino supports this, and tomorrow I'm just gonna like migrate all my Spark stuff over. Yeah, uh, no, <laughs> it, it's never. <laughs> that's not how it works. So it's like having, but having that freedom and capability to have Trino take over a lot more of those use cases where it makes sense. You know, that's that's something we want to actually get Trino to, and I, I hope a lot of people get excited about that because you know, with tardigrade and all that stuff coming in, it's going to make, it's going to make it a lot more sensible to use this in like more of a, a ETL or, or whatever, if you're talking data lakes, ELT sense. So. Yeah, no, 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 don't, don't get me wrong. I, I love the competition and like nothing is better than competition between yeah. open source projects in a friendly collaboration, collaboration totally. mate, which is exactly what we do with the spark and Delta Lake and iceberg and all yeah. these other communities, right? That's what it's all about together. We, we sort of like raise the bar for everyone, which is awesome. Totally, totally. Now, um, the one thing I wanted to mention, there was this, uh, there was a failure with distinct limit kind of um, queries. That was one of the release blockers that we had. And mm. it was just a, like edge case. It wasn't like th that distinct limit was broken completely. It was just like for a small edge case with dictionary encoded data. Mm -hmm. um, but that was one of the release of blockers that delayed us with, I think, Cost us to have a little bit more time for 376 while the list is a bit longer. Nice. Um, a very cool feature that we'll talk about later and I'll show you is um, someone uh, uh, added a whole new page or like actually a couple of pages to the web UI um, that shows you the information of all the workers and uh, we'll have a demo of that later. So that's cool. Awesome. Um, always good to see the web UI uh, expand and, and become more powerful and friendly as well. It is obviously a, a very technical UI, but yeah. it is still very useful to have. Well, and that's why people get the book and the, and you can get the book for, for uh, free or just, you know, buy it off Amazon, one of the two. So Yeah, I guess I have to update that <laughs> because that is not in there at some stage. But yeah, just add it, add it to the list and then we'll, we'll get the new version out, you know, in a couple, couple of weeks, right? No big deal. <laughs> Easy peasy, right? <laughs> Cool. Yeah, actually, like, you know, it's funny because well, I, in the demo later on, I'll show you like how to start uh, from a tarball yeah. and the configuration files from back when the book was released, which is not that long ago, really. But yeah. there were a couple of small changes. They are not completely compatible with the latest releases, but, you know. Yeah. Books are... Books are stale, man, but it's, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. That's why you go to the, you kind of have to go halfway between the books and halfway between the docs. Yeah, exactly. So it's all good. Um, on the JDBC driver, I wanted to mention the user property is no longer required, mm -hmm. um, which is useful. Um, and then one thing that is kind of a breaking thing um, is the internal dash communication shared secret value is now required. That mm -hmm. is not something that um, like it is best practice to set that. And it's just a long random string um, to basically be used between the coordinator and all the workers. It's a mm. shared secret value, right? Like long hash yep. or whatever, something. Yeah. Um, you could get away without setting that. Uh, this is now required. The reason that is the case so that 
Um, there's more security between all the different nodes in the cluster, no, conf no, conf no confusion. And also specifically when you enable the automatic internal TLS uh, between the cluster nodes, that shared secret is used to create the actual certificates and stuff for that. So we're just making that up. So, so that's required only if you've en enabled the internal communication or it's required no, it's all the enabled time? enabled with any authentication usage. Oh, got which it. basically means anything like, like, logging, like logging in <laughs> yeah like as soon as you as soon as you have authentication enabled which is not enabled by default but as soon as you enable any authentication type be that like password with ldap or a password file or whatever kerberos for god forbid if you want to go into that vein or whatever else right yeah yeah, yeah. then you need to do that also Fair remember enough. when you do need to enable uh authentication you also need to enable https slash tls yep so, you know, like you're going to have to do a bunch of things anyway. This is just a long random string that you flop into the config properties file. So it's not, not a big deal, but it's worth knowing about. Gotcha. So if you upgrade, make sure you have that value set to something. And the docs has a long, has an example command where you just like, you know, you basically code something and create a long random string with OpenSSL or something. And that's or it. I'm just going to type ABCD and just hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, that's not very secure. It's about as secure as using password as the password. <laughs> maybe, yeah, I was going to say password is a little more secure, or maybe it's because it's easier to guess. I don't know. <laughs> but cool. Uh, anything else uh, before we, we hop on to the concept? Well, three, seven days later is coming later today. We'll capture, we capture what's there late, uh, next, next time, but it's yeah. not much. Perfect. All right. Well, to the concept of the week. All, All right. right. For, we'll talk about packaging Trino today. Yeah. What does it Exciting. even mean, Brian? I mean, so if I want to run Trino, like, you know, sometimes maybe I want to like, just like play around with it locally. Sometimes maybe I want to actually install like uh, a whole bunch of nodes. I mean, just that one of the big words that are sitting inside of Trino is distributed. So sometimes it's kind of like, uh, you know, how do we actually take all this code and make it to where all of these different scenarios, we can actually deploy this code in some uh, some way that will enable us to actually set up either a giant cluster or a single node, or maybe a, even a, a, a very kind of tiny cluster. And so packaging is kind of this way for us to uh, uh, meet these different needs. And uh, sometimes the needs are, are, are complex in that you know, you you have uh, maybe more cloud environment, and there's only you know very specific ways that you want to like handle things like scaling and things like that. So you know, like that that's going to require a certain type of packaging. How are we going to actually like pull the the information in without having to do a whole bunch of custom stuff? And then sometimes it's just like, hey, I want to go and play around with this on my own local computer, like. Is there a, a way for me to simply do that? Is there a way for me to actually set up a proof of concept in my, my company's local network? So packaging kind of is like, you know, the ways that we think about how are we going to uh, take all that code and all those binaries and make it something that's, you know, fairly straightforward approach to uh, installing Trino so that people can use it in all these different contexts. Uh, that's how I think of it anyways. And so yeah, yeah. we have like three, three ways to do this, right? And so... Yeah, yeah like I think, uh, uh, like in a nutshell, I always think like that's that's how we give you the goodies. <laughs> yeah, that's how we, there you go. Yeah, summarize this very eloquently. Yeah, um, <laughs> and and like what we really mean by giving you the goodies is the tree, everything that's needed for the Trino application. And uh, by default, with every release, 
we make three different package versions available. The most simple one is the tarball, which is basically just a tar file, which is a tape, tape archive. archive. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not doing the tape thing, but... Um, we're not? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> ship, out, ship out the tapes for this release. <laughs> I did use tape way back when in the Commodore 64 for some things, but we're not doing that anymore these days. <laughs> okay. All right. So the tarball is just a, 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 an archive file that is zipped up and has the stuff in it. And when I say the stuff, it's basically a couple of directories, um, mostly the bin directory, which has the launcher script in it, the lib directory, which has all the globally needed libraries, including also the web app itself, for example, and then the plugins. The plugins are uh, separate directories, which have also, again, a whole bunch of Java libraries in it. Uh, each one uh, sort of like is its own. So there's an Oracle directory in there for the Oracle connector. There's yeah. a PostgreSQL for the Postgres connector and so on. But there's also one for, say, like the uh, password file authentication. Right? Yeah. Everything that's implemented as a plugin is in there and is loaded separately. And, and when you say globally needed libraries, we're talking like the core, the optimizer, all that kind all of stuff. All that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like the, the whole discovery service so that yep. the server can start up. The Like Trino runs on top of Eclipse Jetty as an application server. So that part is there. All sorts of stuff. Like, like literally there's hundreds of files. Uh, cool. We can look at that later, how much there is. But the main thing I want to mention about that is basically in order to run Trino, you just need Java, Java Virtual Machine. Um, Python, if you use the launcher script, and you should, and um, and Linux because but which which Java virtual machine do they need though? You need Java eleven. Yeah. Um, mm. Used to have Java eight as a requirement, then uh, Java eleven became the requirement. Java. We always rely, rely on what what is called the LTS or long term support version from Java, yeah. and we'll talk about that later. The latest one is actually seventeen now, so well, there's some some rumbling going on. But let's stick with the packaging for now. <laughs> um, so we have the the launcher script uh, that's useful to um, like start the application. I'll show that later. What's important to know about the tarball is it is sort of the minimal. Um, it has no config scripts in it. So if you just extract that, there's nothing you can do with it. You have to add a bunch of configuration files into the Etsy directory mm -hmm. inside that directory where you extract it. Um, so you have to add your config.properties file, your JVM config, which is the configuration uh, for the global stuff, the JVM config file, which is just the memory configuration, that kind of stuff for starting up the Java virtual machine in the first place. Hmm. Log properties is kind of optional just for logging configuration. Uh, and notebook properties is a file that just allows you to um, sort of give it a unique name for the for that node in the cluster, right? Yeah. And set the environment. And then the main one is obviously the Etsy catalogs, properties files to define all the configuration for connecting to the various data sources. Yeah, and those, those ones are interesting, right? Like it's, if if depending on what you have in there is what's actually gonna get used from that plugins, like the, the artifacts will actually be used. Is like- Exactly, yeah. One thing is like, you know, you, you have literally every single plugin that is developed when you unpack this tarball, but maybe you've only configured like MySQL and something like, so the question is like, is are those plugins loaded? And the answer is yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> even if you're well, not directly using them well only sort of like how how trino actually works is it has like this is a java lower level kind of thing um java has separate class loaders yeah. so like an, a concept where it loads 
the stuff for it. And Trina is a very complex and well-written application where the class loaders for the different plugins are not shared. Yeah. So um, you can, and what that enables is you can, for example, have a connector that like that connects to some old legacy system that needs a JDBC driver that has some other dependencies to so something very old as a library. And you can have that plugin use that old stuff. But at the same time, you can have another connector that uses a newer version of some of those dependencies because it's more modern yeah. without getting in each other's way. So there's separate class loaders. So, so I've, I've seen though at, at times like when you're still like starting up the server, I still see those plugins come up. So I'm like, even if I'm, even if I'm not actually like uh, configuring them in the catalog properties, is that not actually loading them into runtime or is it just like kind of, it's just registering it all, but it's not actually loading everything. Oh, see, all this time you learn something new live on a whole bunch in front of a whole bunch of people. So it's actually like uh, just basically saying that it's I, we see this plugins there, but we're not yeah. actually loading or, or actually bringing that into runtime. So all this time yeah. I thought it was like in runtime somehow. Yeah, no, it's 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 separate and it's even separate for each. It's kind of interesting. Uh, from all I understand is every catalog gets a separate instance of like in the old documentation um we used to write that a catalog is an instance of a connector so it's mm -hmm. kind of like every catalog means that a connector is loaded separately again on the class loader. i'm not 100 percent sure if that's correct or if there's some sharing between catalogs that use the same connector or not mm -hmm. but everyone they only get loaded when necessary yeah well, something one thing that we we did at my last company just to specifically avoid anything getting loaded at all was we only we took out all the plugins that we just knew we were never going to use, and yep. we just and that that obviously cleared up disk space, but we also just it avoided like having to add the extra any of the extra weight that you know Trino had to do to even maintain any of that stuff. So yeah, exactly, I, yeah. and that's what's something I'll talk about later in the customization as well. That's definitely cool. one of the things you can do. Nice. So, so yeah, Tarball doesn't have anything. You have to throw the additional configuration in and then um, it's good. You can use it wherever, right? Like any Linux distribution, theoretically, well, not any, any, but like, you know, reasonably new um, will work, right? So we have the detailed requirements in the documentation, but essentially that's the first option. And that's, um, that's sort of like, will work randomly wherever sort of thing. So you can throw that on your whatever cloud provider, your Ubuntu, Linux, or Debian, yeah. or Alpine, or whatever, it'll work just fine. Yeah. It's the catch, it's the catch all one that it, like, if you don't want to, like, if you don't want to have any other uh, required dependencies, like this will run on just like anything. Yeah, <laughs> so. in fact, it, it also will, for example, run on Windows subsystem for Linux, if you run on Windows, yeah. or it will run on macOS directly, in fact, uh, like 99% use cases, the Linux requirement is just for some of the underlying Hadoop sort of things. Mm -hmm. um, for production usage, you couldn't do that, obviously, but for you playing around locally, and we'll see that later on, you can run it on your on your macOS machine or so as well. Yeah. Now the next, so that's the that's the tarball. We're never gonna get rid of it. This is like the, the bare bones, uh, yep. really useful one. The next one is the contentious RPM. Because the reason why, uh, and I have to like give you that, that context, that the reason why I chose packaging as a topic was because we wanted to throw away the RPM. Um, <laughs> um, why do we hate the RPM so much? <laughs> well, we hate the RPM, not really, but we, mm -hmm. we 
we struggle with the RPM because it makes a very, it, like the tarball is already big. The RPM is even bigger. Yeah. It adds time to the build process quite a bit. And it's also hard to say where it's going to work, right? Like yeah. RPM stands for Red Hat Package Manager. Yeah. Um, but because it's an RPM, it declares the dependencies to the Java version, to the Python version, based on the, the specific RPM-based Linux distribution it's aimed at. Yeah. Which means it kind of only works for a specific version of CentOS or whatever is yeah. it's aimed at. Which then means, well, someone says, well, I'm using SUSE or I'm using Fedora or blah blah whatever, and then it doesn't work. And we we don't have the time and infrastructure to test all the different variants of the RPM. So we were contemplating getting rid of it. There's a lot of users out there, so for now at least we'll definitely keep it. Um, why is it useful? Well, it is useful because what it does, it adds those operating system specific wrinkles, right? Like yeah. it makes it so that the whole of Trino is not just in one directory, right? Like wherever you extracted the table, that's where it sits and that's fine. You can put it in slash opt or whatever. The RPM sprinkles it across the operating system in the, in the required default path. So yeah. your configuration is in root, Etsy, Trino, your line, like the the char the 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 files for the core are in varlib trino and then varlib trino plugins and so on right so it's across the operating system which makes it easier to manage for any tooling that's specific to the operating system it also makes cleanup easy right they can just rpm uninstall again and all that kind of stuff yeah. it also adds the launcher script as a system service so when the machine boots up it will automatically also start up trino yeah so it's, it's more convenient in that aspect, um, but it doesn't have any additional stuff beyond that, right? So the launcher script that's included can be registered. So if you use the tarball, you can also just set it up, make a Zoom link from your Etsy in a D system or whatever you're using for startup um, to the launcher script and we'll start, right? Like I'll use it later on when I do the demo, I can go bin launch or run or bin launch or status, bin launch or stop, that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's basically built into the RPM. Yeah, so it sounds like for CentOS systems specifically, uh, or any kind of Red Hat distribution that goes off of that, uh, that may be somewhat compatible and and kind of uses RPM structure. Uh, you're able to basically just like go around a lot of that that setup uh, when you use the RPM, especially when it comes to managing upgrades and stuff like that. Yeah, so, exactly. Right, like that. That's that's the advantage. Does do you still need to do configuration? Yes, because yeah. obviously the JVM config is going to be a standard. Hopefully, you have a bigger machine, which means you have to pump up the the, the memory setting for the JVM config. You're hopefully going to connect some catalog. Well, yeah. it doesn't include any catalogs by default that are for your system, so you need to add those, right? So it's not like you don't have to do configuration. You just yeah. have to do a bit less. Yeah. And the other problem is, um, as I said, the RPM declares the dependencies it needs. Um, and those are like the Python and Java versions. Mm. Depending on the CentOS version and the packaging like repositories you hooked up, those dependencies might not be there. Then you have to install the RPM, ignoring that dependency information. Like there's like a flag, no depths. And then it works again, but you have to know about that. So it's, yeah. you know, like it's, it's great, but also not so great. So, yeah. but lots of people use it. So, so that's the RPM packaging. Uh, last one is the container image. Um, for everyone out there that uses uh, Docker will know about that. I'm calling it a container image because it's 
while it is a is a Docker container image, it can totally be used on things like Kubernetes that don't actually use and rely on neat Docker images. They need just yeah. container images. Yeah. So um, what does a, what is a container image? Well, it's a bit more even. Remember, a container image also includes the base Linux distro, and in in our case, it also includes the base the Java and the Python exactly what it's needed. So when you start up the container, it will completely start up. Like the Java will in the, is in the container, the Python is there, all the Trino stuff is there, and a default set of a couple of catalogs, the JVM config, all of that stuff is there hmm. for suitable for the container. Um, and that's also very nice. It allows you to run it and then use it in the Helm charts in Kubernetes in the cloud. But again, you still also need to do configuration and, and our Helm chart allows you to, to add that kind of stuff as well, right? So yeah. So those yeah. are the, the three options, basically. If you want to look into any of that too, there's a uh, Trino getting started repo that actually just like solely relies on on the this this Docker image or in particular the container image, and like uh, that's how a lot of people are are using it to just sandbox and play around with Trino. So yeah, because it's easiest, right? Like all you need, you have your Docker installed on your on your machine, yep. and you fire it up. You don't have to worry about any of the dependencies. It all comes in it. That's yep. it, right? You just, it's just one command, docker compose up dash D or whatever container. Yeah, or or even like I can show that later. It's just like, you don't even have to do docker compose. You can just docker run blah. Yeah, that's as well. That's yep, right? exactly. So, so super nice. Um, and So that's that's the images we offer and we'll continue to offer all of those going forward. Um, now, of course, when it comes to customizations, you have to get them somehow in. And so mm -hmm. there's many things you can do. So like you mentioned before, you can remove all the unused plugins, for example, that would make the footprint on the installation on your systems smaller and potentially startup faster, right? So it might be a good idea. You can also use the tarball to create your own package, right? Like if you are like a shop that uses only Ubuntu, well, then you can make a Debian package, for example, out of it. And you can even go one step further and say, well, you're not only going to make a Debian package, you're going to make a Debian package for your production cluster. You could, right? Yeah. Which could actually include all the files for your catalogs and all that kind of stuff and manage the upgrade process by just the native packaging system. Totally feasible. Um, it will completely depend on what your organization wants to do. Maybe you don't want to do that, but you want to use Ansible or Chef or whatever. There's like hundreds of these different provisioning systems. The tarball is an easy thing to always manipulate because, well, it's just an archive file. Uh, and you can ship that around as binary and so on, right? Um, so that's that's useful customizations. And then you can also do that with the RPM. So I've created a little uh, proof of concept um, repository um, as part of this um, idea that we get rid of the RPM. All I did is I created another project that basically pulls the the bits that make the RPM out and then declare a fixed uh, dependency version. So this project basically can build the RPM. If you browse into the directory structure for the server, you can see in the source there, this is exactly the stuff from Betrino RPM. Um, and it's just um, shows also how to install it and that kind of stuff. But you could use the same structure to build your own RPM and test it for your specific, I don't know, SUSE, Linux, RPM distro or whatever. Right? So you can tweak it. And like this also contains the configuration files for like the post-install, pre-install for the RPM base and all that kind of stuff. So um, if we ever decide that 
we don't want to maintain the, the RPM anymore within the Trino core repository. So every build gets slowed down by that, or like we have these kind of like uh, sequential things, we could move to that. And we could even do multiple as a Trino project. We could do the SUSE RPM and the CentOS RPM and the Fedora RPM and, and tweak them a bit and all that yeah. kind of stuff, right? I'm, I'm kind of curious, Manfred, you've, you've had a lot more open source experience than I have. And I'm like, it, have you ever, I've seen, you see a lot of times where like, um, you know, open source communities have uh, community managed like kind of elements and then they'll have like the, you know, core managed uh, uh, type of uh, packages and stuff like that or, or products of the project. Um, I've, I usually, you know, you'll see things a lot of times like start out as a community thing and then it gets kind of like, you know, graduates up to the core. Uh, does it ever go the other way? Like could, in this particular case with RPM? It does. Like in fact, in fact, funny, funny example I stumbled across recently. You know how we had press to admin in the past? Yeah. There is a Trino admin. So someone in the, so press, for those of you that haven't been around that long, uh, press to admin was a, a bunch of terrible Python scripts. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to say that. <laughs> um, that allowed you to manage a cluster of, of, of Presto with, um, with basically a bunch of uh, Python commands and it would actually connect to the other machines. It, it would kind of do what what you actually like have use Ansible for these days, right? So like, yeah, it was yeah. kind of like a poor man's, hack around um and when we moved from presto dotrino we decided that it's not worth maintaining this anymore and we basically said well forget it this is a like it was just too painful to deal with and we yeah. kind of deprecated it but someone took took up the rain and is is sort of running a trino admin system yeah. now i haven't tested that but it exists so it does happen the other way around as well. yeah and, and i think i've also seen that kind of like with the ranger thing right because like there was a whole like it, it's kind of like that right but there's a community like kind of manage and and i think there's actually a second version of that coming out soon from what i've heard in the community so there's like two people that have actually come out with like a ranger community run plugin whereas before i, I we weren't actually that was that's actually not a good example because the, we we weren't ever managing that but ranger the ranger uh group was yeah. managing the one for presto and then once we changed the name that that dependency went away and then so now the community has now picked that up for the ranger i guess you could say since the ranger team was was managing it before now now the community is managing that um i'm curious if you know if we do this with the trino rpm like maybe that's maybe we would see something like that where you know enough people it, that it, it, it might well be that there, i i know that there's a couple of large organizations that use trino uh, that use the RPM. So yeah. maybe it's something where they would be willing to collaborate and stuff like that. And it's it's not like, you know, this is the beauty of the of the open source community and an open source project. You can do both, right? Yeah. Like you yeah. can still use my proof of concept and create your own. You can open source it and use it for own. And like, like this is all about collaboration, right? Yeah. So yeah, totally. um, any, any of those things work. And then last customization I wanted to also mention that's kind of important is you can also create your own Docker image. Yeah. And that's useful because that will make the uh, speed up of your, of your cluster and stuff smaller. Like if you make the Docker image smaller, one important tip when you do that um, and you write your Docker file, you could do from so-and-so and like use from Trino to be Trino and basically inherit the Trino image. Yeah. Don't do that yep. <laughs> because because what that means is like the way Docker works is a Docker or slash a container image just adds layers. Even if those layers remove files, the overall thing will stay big unless you like completely rewrite the sort of like 
uh, hackery around the layer. So if you truly want to go and make an optimized separate Docker container, use the RPM, put it all together. And then that allows you to go and use like a, a super minimal distribution, for example. So you could make it based on like whatever your organization standard is for the operating system. You could use, um, you could use Alpine or or Ubuntu, like a, a like a light core one or so. On. So you can use all those. Yeah, and I think we current do we currently use like Alpine or some other smaller version. I think I think at one point it was Alpine, and now I've seen something different. If I remember, uh, correctly. I think we use one of those super uh, small Red Hat UBIs or something like that. Yeah, that's right. I, I remember we switched it at some point, but I, before we were using Alpine, and then like. Uh, I, I guess like, you know, the one that other thing I would say with that is like, if you are not sure where to even begin, just look at, uh, if you go into like the Trino uh, repo, so let me just go into GitHub real fast. And yeah, you can put like same idea as the CentOS one. You can just look at what Trino does and sort of like copy that and do something similar. Exactly. So just go Trino core Docker. And then there's a, the Docker file that's used here. You can literally just like, you know, copy off of this one and uh the main thing is that anything that you do that's custom just add it to this you know ru same run command you can, and while you're troubleshooting you can make separate run commands but you want to try to make sure that if you're doing it for this docker image make sure you add it to the same run command because otherwise each run individual run command that you do will makes add layer. it makes another layer and sometimes that ends up duplicating the the uh you know written written uh data that that you do in each step so this is why you see only one run command here anything extra you add just make sure that's like a kind of a typical housekeeping uh running your own docker image thing but uh, and that's what you said the uh, red hat ubi uh, you were you were spot oh, yeah, so, on. So, so I guess right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so uh, also tip, by the way, if you don't want to have that script in the Docker file itself, you can also just write it externally and then run it <laughs> yep. from like outside of the repository. But yeah, so that's the that's the kind of stuff that um, is all related to packaging. So rest assured, the packages will be around and available for you all one way or another. If the RPM goes to some other place, then it's still going to be around. So uh, no worries there. Last one um, um, mention that I just wanted to throw out there. You can use uh, Brew to install it as well. I love Brew. I love Homebrew. Um, it's the best. It, it's <laughs> not. It's not always up to date, and you can run it so that it starts up as a service or not. Um, but just to play around, if you're on macOS already, that's also an option, right? So. And and who who uh, got us registered with Homebrew? I I thought I remember somebody. Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I think it's Martino David that maintains that. Actually, it's oh, kind really? of. I thought it was you. <laughs> That's why I was trying to be so facetious. I was like, "Who did this?" And I, uh, I thought no, you. No, 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 no. Um, I think it was like it's kind of under the radar. Not many people know it exists. It's not documented or anything. But I thought it's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very simple. I for some reason I thought you were the one that set this up. I know you you set up one for uh, I, I, one of the I clients. Discovered yeah, no, I discovered it at some stage. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, cool. So it looks like uh, we're, we're making it a very common theme to not just do one, but but two concepts of the yeah. episode. So uh, so what are we what are we doing now? Maybe we, we kind of, uh, or unless, did I cut you off from the packaging? It sounds like that was it. No, no, no. I think that's it. Packaging is good. You can do a jingle if you want. Awesome. Yeah, the other topic of the month uh, of, of the episode is modernizing Java or modernizing Trino to Java 17. Um, I think this is important to talk about because it's coming. 
Yeah. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Starburst Galaxy has been using Java 17 already for quite a while. There were some last holdouts, maybe two or three months ago or so, that uh, needed it to be upgraded. Um, but basically, at this stage, you can use Java 17, and it is we are using it in production with Starburst Galaxy. It's basically working. Um, not all the connectors will work. Hmm. Um, like nearly all of them, there's some JDBC driver updates necessary and stuff like that. But um, the main thing why I want to talk about this is because we want to move to Java 17 very soon. Um, so everyone in the community should know about it and sort of like let us know if that is an issue for them, right? Like it shouldn't be because you have to have a dedicated server anyway, and then yeah. it shouldn't matter what Java you install in there. Um, license or anything like that doesn't change. Um, the reason we want to do it is because the latest LTS and the supported LTS is Java 17, has been since uh, September last year, or I think last year, hmm. um, but like quite a while anyway. And it has a lot of improvements again, like Java has been moving very fast hmm. and specifically, and you were nerding out about that before the call a bit, uh, before the broadcast today, there's a lot of language improvements as well. Like yeah. Not just performance improvements on the runtime, but language improvements. So we would like, like the maintainers and contributors, we would all like to actually move to require Java 17 on the code level, because it would allow us to use some, some pretty cool new APIs and like even simple things like multi-line strings. Like yeah. you can just go, this is the string and it goes over multiple lines of source code. Um, it makes a lot of things cleaner and faster and like, yeah. that would be really good. Yeah. I, in general, we're, um, you know, the, the, we'll get into more of this at some point. Um, I, I think maybe the next episode, if depending on like, we're, we're talking, you know, who, who's going to be showing up for the next episode, if we're going to have a guest or not, but, uh, we, we have, uh, you know, I, I do want to get like into a nitty gritty episode where we actually talk about some of the specific uh, pieces of language that were added to Java 7 or since Java 11 to Java 17. Um, you know, what, what's been added and, and one of the particular things that it's exciting is like the vector API. We've had a lot of people in the community asking about vectorization and we already do that somewhat. Like there's this auto vectorization capability, which vectorization means like I'm going to be able to take, you know, something like a for loop that runs many times. And essentially the loop is something that can get run in parallel, right? So if I can apply uh, some auto vectorization, that means that I can see this loop. I can see it can get run in parallel. So I'm going to automatically run it across processors, threads, and, and do it, you know, J Java basically will, will take it over at that point. And then with Java 17, we'll actually be able to have a lot more custom uh, uh, capabilities to, to uh, use an API that will kind of change depending on the underlying hardware, but like we'll actually be able to understand, hey, I'm running on some, you know, parallel processing like GPU thing, or I'm able to do all this other stuff. And now I can actually, you know, if we call this vector API and, and request to run a certain bit of code in, in parallel, now, now we can take advantage of more things like this. So this is stuff that we've been, you know, people have been asking about in terms of like, how do we keep, you know, Trino on the bleeding edge of, of the fastest query engine. And so this is how, so this is why I, this stuff gets really exciting. And, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into a little bit of that stuff, uh, Java stuff here in the next couple episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like a, a good example is also like when we moved from Java eight to Java 11, it was very crucial to move soon because 
eight, basically the, the startup time of the Java virtual machine and stuff wasn't very good. Yeah. Other people would call it terrible, but um, <laughs> I, it wasn't very good. <laughs> um, and it like that obviously inhibited like the whole container usage, right? Like yeah. it's very crucial for containers. Java 11 improved a lot on that. Now we are using and Trino is suitable to run on ARM-based processors and uh, x86 processors. So uh, a lot of those kind of improvements and also even towards the, the GPU kind of stuff in newer versions of Java to get better and better, right? So yeah. it's kind of a free upgrade in terms of performance, but just using a newer version of the JVM. Yep. Uh, and we want to make sure we can take advantage of that for our users. So Totally. So please, please call out in Oops. general. If you, you are uh, like, you know, using Trino, please let us know if there is any issues with moving to Java 17. For example, on the container world, wouldn't matter because as we talked about packaging, it doesn't even matter. You don't you know, like really the, the Java version is already in the container. So that, that would be completely transparent for you. But yeah. RPM, obviously you would have to figure out how you change over to have Java 17 provision on your system tarball, you have to do it even more manually, right? So yeah. this is the kind of stuff we need. And and sometimes also, and this is kind of sad, but organizations also move, like some organizations move slower than others and they have a requirement. Well, I can't use the latest and greatest, whatever. Given that Java 17 is an LTS from Oracle and like all the other vendors of Java, it's the long-term, like it's the the currently supported LTS version, like long-term support. That shouldn't be an issue, but who knows? Like might still be like. Yeah. Yeah. Government is one of those like canonical examples of just moving at incredible snail speed to upgrade anything. They just like, once something works and they, they have it, a solution to something, they never want to change it. Yeah. Anything like, like I remember I worked at a telco here in Canada a couple, like quite a few years ago now, but I remember back then, it was like the latest was like Java, I don't know, like eight or whatever. Yeah. And and they were using Java four and stuff for that. And I was like, I don't even remember how to write this Java code yeah. anymore. It's like so old and so terrible. I don't want to touch it. Like, but that's the what was the required version. And like it was crazy, right? So every line you're writing, it's like, we don't know this. <laughs> this yeah, even. like my eyes are glazing over. I'm like, can I? Oh no, terrible. <laughs> what is this typing that you have going on here? Like <laughs> yeah. uh, or the sorry, generics. I was thinking like generics. <laughs> like that was a I think that was introduced in Java five, right? Yeah, that came in Java five. <laughs> <laughs> what are these generics that you have? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, cool. But yeah, well, so that's where we're at. So let us know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, definitely Je Dev Channel, Trino Slack. Let us know. Just directly ask us. In you know, I think people know pretty much where to find us. Ask us on Twitter. Ask us on LinkedIn. Doesn't matter where. But just yeah, just let us know. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what the what the community is thinking about this. I I think there was a you know, eight was pretty well established by the time we were getting around to 11. And I feel like, you know, people are, that was a hard jump because like, once you've rooted a lot of stuff in a certain version of the JVM, then it's like, you're kind of feeling like I, there's no way I'm, I'm, I'm moving off this, but you know, cause there's just so much to consider. But then like with, with this one, I think when we, we reminded people like, Hey, Trino should be running on its own server anyways. And like, just if you need to just let it run on its own little like node Island, that's the only thing in your org that has Java 17 on it, I think people were a little more like, oh, okay, cool. That's as long as that's the case. And I can still have my clients, you know, running in a older version of Java and that kind of thing. Like you can run your JDBC stuff all on Java 8 or Java 11, whatever your 
to yeah, total yeah. company does. You just need to run the Java servers uh, on on the latest Java. That's that's really the only thing. So yeah, that's so a let, good point. Let us let us know about that and uh, uh, you know uh, what what your thoughts are. And uh, otherwise, should we move on to the pull request of the episode? Let's do it. All right, pull request of the episode. All right, so what pencil is that? Is that how I would say this guy's name? What which pencil? Uh, I I'm guessing I don't know. I tried to contact him or her, um, and I only just sort of heard back. So if if you're out there, um, please comment. Uh, if you're listening live, um, we love the yeah. we, we love the contribution. It's really awesome. Um, yeah. and there's screenshots in here, as you can see, um. Basically, the web UI, as you can see here, the counter for the different connected workers now becomes a link, and then it shows basically the information that's already available. So system.runtime.node, like the system catalogs, that's the system information in Trino, basically has all that information available. So what what uh, the contributor needed to do is basically just expose that on, a, on, a, on an endpoint and then like write the UI for it. So it's very much a UI kind of like PR. Hmm. Um, that's also why uh, David uh, looked into it uh, and helped with the review, oh, um, nice. which is one of those great uh, examples, right? Like Piotr Findeisen, uh was like, I'm not a UI guy and like Piotr is amazing. Like when the stuff he, he is writing on the, on, the, on the core engine is amazing, but he also knows his limitations, right? Like, and he's not a not, not a UI guy. It's just a totally different skill set, right? Yeah. And luckily, we have a lot of different people in the community and at Starburst that can help. And David is is a wizard on the on the UI kind of stuff. And so he helped with the review, and that that's really great to have this kind of like you know collaboration and um, helping others. Uh, and uh, I think Wood Pencil also commented mm -hmm. towards the end that he really enjoyed the experience and learned a lot, right? So that's one of those things, right? Like when you send a pull request, it's not only that you're helping that project contribute and improving it, you're also learning as part of the process, learning best practices, learning maybe new things on how things are working, what best to do. So um, we got that in and it and I can show it to you later on. That's It's a, it's a really nice feature. So thanks again for contributing that. Cool. Yeah, thank you so much, Wood Pencil. That's awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what this looks like in the demo. So I guess uh, without further ado, should uh, should we demo this? Let's go for it. Yeah. I'm gonna right. let you show my screen. I already did it. I did, already... I did it. I did that sneakery while I had the the. All right. The, that's what the transition's for. <laughs> yeah, let's see where I am. So I find my way. So um, here could, is. Could you make the the code a little bigger? Just a even little bit. bigger. Okay, I can try to make it even bigger. <laughs> All right. So, and for some reason, this is going very slow here. All right. So here we are. So here I have a Trino server target set. And I have a cool uh, a directory. So if I want to show, I don't know what's going on. My keyboard is kind of behaving weirdly. Um, so this is the tarball. I want to extract this. So I go tar xfv set, for example, and then the Trino server. Wow, what is going on? 
So I just extract this targz file and you see it just runs through extracting all the files. All the it, things. <laughs> all the things. And this and you can see here there's the lib. So if I go now ls. Oh, so, sorry, Trino. Hang on. I don't know what's going on with my it's the extra uh challenge um, that we've added to your demo. Yeah, I don't know. Like it's really weird. Let me just close some of these things here. Okay, let's go back here. All right, so you see, I go and can go into this directory. So if I do an ls now, um, this is what's there, right? So oh. yeah, bin libin plugin. Yeah, so if I go ls bin, you see that's the launcher file. I don't know what's happening here. My mouse pad is, or something is happening. Let me close this. I'm gonna. Here, I'll take I'll, I'll take I'll take you off. Why don't you get get a quick second, and then we'll we'll restart the demo here in a second. Tell, let me know when you're ready. Yeah, I'm gonna. Always I'll, always fun uh, when when you get to these uh, live demos, and uh, all of a sudden, like I think um, literally at the last, uh, I think it was uh, the Amundsen episode. Um, I used a different. I was trying out a different uh, web browser, and all of a sudden, Streamyard, the the thing that we stream this the show with. Uh, was really acting clunky when, like, I would on my local side, I was seeing all the code, and then like, on the, I, I just realized that Streamyard was just like showing the changes to that screen super slow, and so, um, so yeah, so this wasn't even like a code issue per se; it was more like my web browser issue. So, uh, anyways, um, it seems like Streamyard specifically only works on Chromium brace browsers, and uh, uh, otherwise has like this really slow latency going on. So, uh, so anyways, how, how's it looking, Manfred? Do you, uh, let's see, I've lost him. Well, while Manfred is uh, figuring that out, why don't I just move on? We'll hop back to the demo here in a second and remove him out of there. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to the question of the week. All right, so uh, hopefully we can get that demo coming back uh, to you and uh, we'll, we'll retry it. That's the wonderful uh, thing about live shows. Um, so question of the week, um, I saw this wonderful question that was asked uh, that I I'll summarize the version of it, but it's basically asked on Slack. Um, uh, a while back. And so somebody was trying, uh, playing around with the Delta Lake connector that we learned about in the previous episode. And, um, they were asking, you know, okay, is uh, Delta Lake actually supporting HDFS. Um, and so the, the down and dirty basic super quick answer is, uh, yes, HDFS, uh, is, is supported. Um, they, they were kind of bringing up like, why, why is this not in the documentation? Cause we see, you know, Azure ADLS gen two S three and S three compatible storage, but nothing's ever mentioned about HDFS. And so it's just kind of interesting because, you know, historically we've always supported HDFS. So, you know, in our minds, it's like a very clear cut, like, yeah, of course we support HDFS, but anybody who may be new to the, uh, kind of, uh, a, a project may still not be 100% sure like where we do and don't support HDFS. So anytime that we 
kind of have a any of these like data lake and data warehouse type uh, connectors, um, you know, these these will support HDFS uh, at at a baseline because that's essentially a lot of the the code that we that was written the kind of core use case around Trino. So so um, that is done, and in fact, maybe it makes sense that we should probably at least add that into uh, the documentation. Um, so uh, so that hadn't been called out, but that is the case now. When we dug into a little bit more, it kind of made a little more sense why why this uh, individual was asking this question was because uh, they were they were running a lot of these commands from a particular client inside of an IntelliJ, um, and so uh, so they got this you know unsupported target SQL type, uh, and so negative one fifty five maps internally in Trino to some some. Uh, um, some uh, Trino type, uh, but then uh, when we looked at you know the actual thing that they ran, this was the uh, you know the the uh, command that they ran, and then they got the error message: cannot write to table uh, HDFS master presto, and then it says HDFS is not supported. So clearly, yeah, it makes it seem like yeah, HDFS is not supported uh, based on that error message, and you don't have anything about HDFS in the documentation. So it uh, turned out, and I didn't have too much uh, uh, context into this that I was able to dig up, but uh, uh, I tried to reproduce it on my IntelliJ, and, and I was not able to. But uh, essentially, this comes down to an issue on uh, the IntelliJ client uh, using the JDBC. It was kind of a mis mishandling um, uh, somewhere. And so this uh, was kind of reported. Um, uh, and and has has been seen a couple times. So if you ever kind of have a, an issue with uh, one of the various clients, uh, I'd say the most common one that people in the community are using are, is DBeaver, and that's the one we see the kind of least issues with. But if you ever have an issue like this, the same way that like if you're on a you know web browser and you have an issue with like a particular uh, you know script running on some website or something, just try a different browser, right? So the same thing is what I would recommend when you're uh, playing around with clients. Um, you know, tr just try. Uh, changing to a different client and seeing if you get the same issue uh, outside of the CLI. And then uh, that should generally resolve the issue. Um, so uh, I just ran through the question of the week, Manfred. Do you, how are you feeling about the demo? Do we, do we need to do this offline afterwards? No, I can't do it. <laughs> this is crazy. Like I've never ex experienced a crash like that on my Mac before. Like oh, literally, no. you know, like the window started flickering and everything. And I heard you talk and then I just had to pull the power plug, like basically Sounds like good. full on shutdown. But okay. I'm back in business, I think. So let's do it. All right. Well, we did the question of the week. So let's let's hop back to the demo of the week. All right. So, so. so we're back in business here. I am on my extracted folder so cb trino server right like that's what it creates by default right so um i have the bin directory ls bin um launcher properties launcher file i have the lib directory lib and that's all these files right? you see there's a lot of libraries and you see here for example there's the jetty binaries for the jetty application server yeah. and all sorts of other dependencies right so that this is basically what makes trino work including the Trino code itself here, like all the Trino something, right? So that's yep. that's what constitutes Trino and all the third-party dependencies. Now, if I go LS plugin, you see there's all the plugins and you see there's all the connectors, but also things like password authenticator, resource group managers, property managers and stuff like that. And then if I go LS say plugins iceberg, you see there's again, a whole bunch of Java files that constitute the 
iceberg connectors. And stuff, one thing right? I want to say in case we're going to index directly to this point. So the first thing that you did before you did all this, you had you ran a tar command, uh, or specifically an untar command, but like basically the, yeah, the tar so, command to decompress all uh, all of this. Yeah, exactly. So it's just um, our XF reset Pinot server like that yep. and that that creates that directory right yeah all, all these, and, yeah but again if you if you look at that directory uh cd twin server twin server um it's not suitable right like if i go dot slash bin like i go and try to run this dot slash bin launcher run um it's not gonna work because config file missing right like and it already tells me etsy config.properties right so that's missing. So I prepared one before where I did that. So if I go over and I called it coordinator, um, looks familiar, right? Same stuff. The only thing that's different is I copied in this Etsy file, hmm. the, the directory. And then when I ran it, it started to create this var directory. So that's where the temporary storage logs and stuff like that go. Pit so file, yeah. Yeah, like, so let's, like, let's look at the Etsy directory, for example. So if I go and look at the config properties file, that's the one it says. All it says here is, yes, this needs to be the coordinator. And then this runs on port 8080. It gets five gig of max memory. And the discovery server URI, which is the, the URI or URL where all the different workers and coordinator work together and understand each other is localhost 8080. So basically, this is just localhost 8080 because, well, I'm running on localhost, right? Yeah. And that would, would be the coordinator's URL. One quick thing to point out about this too, when we were talking about packaging, a lot of other systems sometimes have like separate packages or separate binaries that they have for like a coordinator and like a worker type node. Uh, in this, in Trino's case, it's all in the same thing. And that one line there, that coordinator equals true, is the thing that changes a whole node from acting as a coordinator versus acting as a worker. Exactly. And I'm going to show you that in a sec, actually. So cool. the other one I wanted to show you is cat uh, JVM config. You see, this is just the default, and it just uh, that these are basically the startup parameters for the Java virtual machine that's going to run it, right? And you see here specifically, you have to set the the memory here uh, here with MX. In this case, four gig. I mean, this is just my local laptop, so it's, this is this is just going to grind a bit, but it's going to work, right? So typically, you have a much bigger server. You should set that to like eighty-ish percent of your server, so that it uses the max memory that that server can give the the runtime right so that's that's another configuration that you need to do and then if you go and look at our catalogs directory in catalog directory you see there's the different catalogs in this case i only have a couple of uh, useless ones basically or it's like testing ones so i have memory for brain black hole connector for def null jmx connector to look at stats and then tpch and tpcdh for some sample data right so Similar. Um, importantly, all this configuration is the same in the core in the worker. So I've made another directory um, that's called worker, and there is a worker in here, and that has the same. So if I go uh, ls etsy, oops, etsy catalog, it has the same stuff in here, right? So the same catalogs. Like this is important because um, when a, when a query runs on a cluster. The coordinator will talk to the underlying data source and say, hey, which tables exist? And like, does that 
column exists. So is that query even valid and that kind of stuff. But then when it comes to running the query, it's going to be distributed across the cluster, right? So everyone has to be in the same picture. You can't have a, uh, like a, a coordinator that has a catalog file and then the worker doesn't. Well, then what's the worker going to do, right? Like it's not going to know. So they have to be the same. But mm. what has to be different is the config file. So if I go cat Etsy uh, config.properties, this is different, right? So here it's coordinator false. And then in my case, I'm running it on the same server on localhost. So I have to get a different HTTP port to run it on. And then this is basically the discover URI that points to the coordinator, which runs on 8080, right? So if I, if I do this now, I can go um, and go to, to the coordinator and go dot slash bin launcher run. And we'll do it with run so we can see the console. And now you see it's starting up. Um, and you, you also see all the parameters and configuration properties, and then it runs the server. You see it, it, the plugin manager registers all the plugins, um, and then and then it's up, right? So this is already it. So Trino is running. So I can go localhost, and now this is the 8080. And there's my web UI, no security, no nothing, right? This is just a local hackery. So, and you see there's one worker, because the coordinator acts as the worker, right? Mm -hmm. So this is it. But, and now here's the cool new feature. If I go cd dot dot worker, now I can start that one as well. Dot slash bin launcher run. That will register with the coordinator. And I have, I have a cluster of two running, right? Like in my case, this is just for demo purposes. Typically this would be on a separate server, right? Yeah. But now two of them are running, they talk to each other. And if I go back here, it should register the worker, but maybe it doesn't. I think, I think it uh, should auto update once the, like I think not having to refresh it, it should auto update. Yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. Like uh, ultimately the new feature that, I, so so this is the configuration you need to do, right? So again, yeah. um, you have to have the Etsy folder. So if I go LS, oh, sorry, actually I can go tree Etsy. You see there's the catalogs and there's those config properties. And the new feature that we get from Wood Pencil is that now I can click here on active workers and I see the list of the workers. Oh, and the problem is probably my node ID. I didn't oh, change the node yeah. ID. <laughs> so, I, so the node ID that's in node.properties, I have only one node ID. I have to, I would have to change that. That's the problem. Anyway, doesn't matter. But like ultimately you get the same thing. You get all the workers available in the list here as active workers. Mm -hmm. You get the list of, I don't know, like hopefully you have more than one, right? Like you might have five or 10 or, or maybe a hundred, right? Like a, a large Clino clusters often have like a hundred, 200 or workers, right? So yep. um, you get the list and then you can check with each one of them what's going on. And you get sort of resource utilization heap and stuff like that all. Uh, you can even create a, a thread snapshot for troubleshooting purposes. You get the IP address and all that kind of stuff. So super it's, cool. It's really nice as a as a new feature, right? Like this is a, a new contributor that just like you know looked into this a bit and and hacked around and got some help from David and got this all working. So I think that's 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 an amazing feat. And you see, with Very the huge. system runtime info, you get all this useful information. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I thought.
I love it. Yeah. No, I mean, anytime there's like extra UI features now, it could sometimes maybe feel like, oh my, there's so much stuff to think to learn about in the UI, but it's really like, you know, once you kind of, uh, get, get your footing in there with the UI and you get to understand what each, uh, kind of pages is kind of helping you out with, it's, it's incredible how, uh, how, how useful that is. And a lot of it's, it's funny how people starting out don't even know about the UIs, uh, at, at the very beginning. And so I kind of like, have you like, I, they're, they're like, I don't know how to, where to find this log. And I'm like, have you gone to the UI? And they're like, what UI? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's totally useful. Also, like you can also hook up the JMX uh, connector to yeah. then look at all the JMX properties. You can hook up the system, uh, like the system cat, like the system data is already available. So you can query all the system data there. Like if you don't find something in the UI, you can even dive deeper. So lots of stuff yeah. is available. So it's really useful. Now, cool. one last thing I'm going to throw in for free today um is if i go and show you this docker run trino this is how you run docker container for trino docker run right like this and this is interesting you make it a little bit bigger manfred oh yeah sorry i know so, I've, I've waited this whole time to tell you that but just to see this particular one i don't know why i couldn't see it as well so if i go I have a little script, so I don't have to type the whole thing. But basically, <laughs> Docker run minus p, so the internal port eighty eighty from the container gets published out to the external port eighty eighty, so I can see it locally. And then I'm running Trino three seventy seven. What's when I run the script? You can see that this is basically doing the same thing that I did with the tarball, but it yeah. already is pre configured, so it starts everything up. And if you want to peek around on how the container is running, you can cheat and get into the container. So you can go Docker PS, and you see here is my Trino server. So I can go Docker exec minus IT. So run a command in the Docker container so-and-so. And the command we're going to run as an interactive terminal is bin, uh, bin sh. So now I'm in the Docker container. And I can see, for example, uh, ls etsy Trino. There's my pre-built configuration files that came already pre-built in the container image, right? So I can mm -hmm. also see uh, Trino catalog, for example. And you see that out of the box, the Docker container comes with these connectors already configured. Right, so that's the difference, right? Like, and also I can go Java minus minus version. Oh, it's actually minus version, I think. So you see, this is Java eleven fourteen Open JDK. So Java is there, Python is there. Everything is in the container already, including some default config files. And then, as you pointed out, your your example project. Uh, repository or getting started has a lot more of those where you then add custom configuration and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. um, just just showing the difference, right? The table has nothing. The container has everything. The RPM is kind of in between, right? So yeah, very cool. Very, very cool. Well, um, thanks for uh, as a pretty, pretty awesome demo. I'm, I'm actually like, it's really cool to kind of take a take a moment to actually like step back and look at all this this stuff. It's like, we we last looked at I last looked at a lot of this stuff back when I was first starting out on on Trino at my previous company. It was like 
you know, we had to do such a deep dive because we were looking through all the different packaging implementations, seeing which one was going to work best for our ops team. You know, this is not not something that de the developers or maybe if you're a, like a data engineer persona type, like, you know, that that's not what we're going to be working on day to day. But like that first, you know, up and coming, like coordinating how with the ops and security team. And yeah, how do you provision all this stuff and figuring out it's, it's very, it becomes very critical and very important in terms of how do you get Trino in your org. And so, uh, so this, this was, uh, uh, even if it comes down to like, you know, how do you just uh, do a proof of concept, uh, you know, making these things super accessible and, and uh, very straightforward uh, is, is what we're aiming for. And so if you are struggling with this, you know, there's, um, you know, in terms of getting installations going and things like that, uh, or you're concerned about Java 17, uh, do reach out to us on the Slack channel. Um, and uh, we will, uh, uh, we'll be glad to take, you know, help, help you through that process and learn, you know, every single time we help somebody through a process like this, it's learning for us because we're learning, Hey, what are the, what are the things that people are facing when they're, you know, trying to get these installations in? And it's not uh, always so clear cut to say, you know, oh well this is this is the, the only thing we offer no we, we we want to kind of evolve and you know we're bringing on kubernetes charts because now kubernetes is is becoming a much more common uh pattern so you know making a helm chart for that and making these types of default values uh that's yet another way that we're kind of like hoping to uh kind of keep up to speed with a lot of these like kind of cloud deployments um yeah real quick uh i wanted to thank say uh, hi vera thanks for for the for the warm welcome back and uh <laughs> thanks for joining the show today um hopefully this is probably a lot of review for for some of you uh trino vets but i, I definitely know it's uh you know uh maybe the specifically the uh um this will get everyone's gears turning when it comes to like you know the customization part of it you know how do i how do i make my own custom thing uh version of, of trino so that i'm you know making the most optimal uh, uh deployment for my my own organization and things like that yeah, it's it's also interesting. Like, I think it's really cool how how you were mentioning that. Like, this is something that you have to worry about in the beginning a lot. Um, it is doesn't go away. And the thing is, um, it is so different for each organization what their standards are, what operating system they require, what security things in the cloud, what provisioning system. So there is all this flexibility. And in the Trino system, we're also lucky enough to have commercial offerings like Starburst Enterprise, where Starburst can help you along, Starburst Galaxy, where, well, you don't have to worry about it. It's Any just of this. all <laughs> in the SaaS, right? Like it just works and you can start writing your queries, right? Like I had a Trino meetup yesterday with Michael Cecino from Visible Systems and they have a whole application that wraps around Galaxy and treats Galaxy like a, as a processing engine under the hood, so to speak. I mean, it's visible, but not that visible. Yeah. The main concept is their application, right? So it allows you to do all these different things and Trino is just amazing in that aspect. So it's really cool. Totally. Um, one last little call out before we head off. So, you know, we, we mentioned in the beginning, I'd like to mention it one more time in the end, uh, Cinco de Trino, uh, we're having it on uh, May 5th, which is on Cinco de Mayo. Um, and so uh, uh, do sign up for that. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're basically going to be, uh, you know, kind of getting together. I think the the central theme for this, this one uh, was, you know, kind of uh, around seeing Trino as a little bit of like a, you know, a data lake engine. Uh, sometimes, you know, people think about Trino as just a federated query engine. Uh, and so we're trying to kind of bring up Trino in the different contexts that it's used. So to give people different ideas. And so 
you know, we, we do have a lot of uh, people using, you know, say iceberg and things like that. But uh, when you think of the data lake, it also includes a lot of these extra tools like thinking data quality checks and uh, using DBT, uh, actually running, you know, kind of more batch oriented ELT processes and uh, with, with Project Tardigrade, you know, being able to uh, kind of, uh, you know, bring Trino in the forefront of, of like a, a, a batch a query engine that has the guardrails of, of uh, you know, query failure recovery, um, it, it kind of makes it a lot more uh, usable in these contexts. So, so you'll hear from a lot of people about, you know, thinking about Trino now, or at least rethinking about Trino in the context of how do you use it as like the sole query engine of your data lake. Um, and so we'll hear from uh, people from a lot of the the formats uh, that we, you know, is uh, hotly debated of which one should I use. We're going to have actually all three uh, of the of the very popular table formats: uh, Iceberg, uh, uh, Delta Lake, and um, uh, and uh, Hootie. Uh, all all the companies kind of behind those three are going to be coming and kind of talking about their products, what they have going on in their open source communities, and so that's going to be really exciting to hear, uh, get some in insight on. And then we're, uh, you know, just talking about, again, all, all those tools around data lake. So it's going to be fun. Uh, just go to starburst.io forward slash info uh, forward slash Cinco dash day Trino. Um, and that's going to be also linked here in the show notes. If you want to just go straight to that link, um, sign up for that and then uh, check it out. So really exciting stuff. Uh, Manfred, before we we hop off, do you have anything else you want to you wanna add? Yeah, I just wanted to mention, you know, like it's kind of funny how, how like with all the Lakehouse stuff with Iceberg and uh, others, um, it's kind of coming full circle, right? Because because Trina started to improve upon like the object storage systems all around Hive and Hadoop. Yeah. And then it spread out to support all sorts of things in Federated Query. And now it's kind of going back to like the V2 versions of, of like, you know, Hadoop and Hive essentially is what like, massively improved versions of that is basically what the iceberg and other table formats kind of are yeah and it's yeah. kind of going back to yeah of course we're going to support those very well as well and that's it's 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 really great to see what that unlocks it's cool totally yeah it's 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 it is really funny it's like we've been like nothing has changed yet everything has changed right yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh so yeah so really excited to hear about all these these talks and, and innovations things coming around around trino and so and of course you know i think uh that guy might be making a little bit of a uh sh an attendance or show up uh, at the very beginning so uh look forward to that and uh until uh next month uh we'll see you then awesome bye okay Music for the show is from the Mega Man 6 gameplay album by Shishtaf Swabikowski. Don't forget to give us a star on the Trino repository at github.com forward slash TrinoDB forward slash Trino. And for more information on future shows and to find show notes, check out trino.io forward slash broadcast.